welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by another guy. Hey, David, yeah. how you doing? See, it's Brian with a Y. See, I-, <laughs> I, I do this on purpose every time just to see if the other guy gets it. You know, uh, Dale and I had this rapport. We did this every week, and even Dale didn't get it. All the time, there'd be this awkward pause. Oh, wait a minute! I'm oh, it's me. This, yeah. new, this new crew, I want to tell you, they're they're slow. They are they're slow. How you doing, Brian? With a Y? I'm doing great. And, and and in my defense, it's both morning and I had my morning coffee in my mouth while you were saying that. So ah, that's why you that's why you got what you got. Those are terrible defenses. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I can only do better next time. So let's let's hope there's a next time. <laughs> it's it's not a hanging offense, but I got to tell you, if uh, if your lawyer told you to say that, get a new lawyer. <laughs> Let me hit my Rolodex real quick while you're Teddy. While you're we're gonna need a lawyer. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So uh, some of you uh, might know I was just recently on uh, the latest episode of Unbelievable. And uh, this is the um, the Easter show of Unbelievable, so a real honor. Uh, sometimes on Easter, the comment count is down, and some I, I kind of judge the quality of the Unbelievable shows. One of my metrics is by engagement. So the first time I was on the show, I had uh, Andrew with me, and then there was uh, Randall Rouser uh, and Justin on the other side. We had over 1,600 comments the first week. Um most of it on topic, so I was very proud of that. Uh, on Easter, when this show came out, uh, it was like a day later, we had 10 comments. <laughs> so, <laughs> so already, ego taking a beating, um, but uh, in all fairness, Easter is always like that. Uh, the Easter show, even though it's a very important show on Unbelievable, uh, it's often it oftentimes takes a few days for the comments to happen because people are just busy with other things, family, friends, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I would, I would also imagine that that's uh, after three days is really when the comments would rise. Yeah. So it's uh, getting close to 300 as we speak now and we're recording on Tuesday morning. Uh, I don't think that we are going to reach 1600. Let's get it to 500. Everybody. Can we do 500? <laughs> Probably we're just gonna, we're going to have to say, say a couple of incendiary things in order to get us to 500. We'll so let see. me we'll let me go through do. my data bank of things I could say to rile people. So, uh, but it's it's an honor. Uh, it really is, and I I say that sincerely. It's an honor to be asked to be uh, on the Unbelievable Show anytime. But the Easter Show is really kind of one of those anchor shows for the year. And I think that a lot of people, even though they may not be listening uh, that Sunday, I, I, the listenership is very high, and. Um, you know, the, the topic is probably the most important topic to Christians uh, out there. And so that needs to be a good show every year. And so I was uh, I was delighted when uh, when Justin asked me to be a part of it. Um, it so what uh, what Brian and I are going to do is we're going to deconstruct it now. <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, things that went right, things that went wrong, things, uh, maybe a view from behind the scenes. And uh, maybe I will... Uh, self-servingly take a chance to rehabilitate some of my arguments, had <laughs> a few more arguments, and uh, see how it goes. So uh, this um, this after show might take anywhere from 30 minutes to three hours, um, or somewhere in between, uh, most likely. Hey, Brian, you want to uh, you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. So so David, I, I agree with you that um, 
you know, getting the Easter show slot uh, was definitely a big get. So kudos to you. I presume you recorded it a while back, though. So that, it was a that long you know, time ago. <laughs> yeah, but but when it was recorded, they they had you queued up to, to for the show to be on Easter. Is that right? Yes. Interesting. No, that's great. Um, my, you know, so in, in, I listened to the show. I read your blog post. I made copious notes, just like I did last time. Even though you were haranguing me on the show as not having done that, but. I will be gladly taking a screenshot and showing my notes if you want to see my notes. But um, no, I I, uh, I really like the show. Um, my upper level thought is, you know, the entire show was like an hour and a half, but there's Justin commentary, lead in, lead out, and commercials. Uh, so, so I don't think there's a lot of time uh, in there for you guys to get into a subject as meaty as the resurrection, uh, especially when your opening salvo was in kind of an interesting version with the uh looking at the other resurrections uh in the bible I, I i bet that's you know a topic that could you know needs hours to deconstruct uh so it was uh it was it was interesting but i i, I was left uh, wanting more yeah so uh, let me just let me just say a thing about uh time people think that they hear the program but you don't hear it the same way the participants hear it <laughs> i can i can assure you <laughs> it's not that you hear different words uh, but it's it's a very different thing when you're listening to arguments and when you're making arguments. Uh, and so the, the time just flows differently, <laughs> relatively speaking. Uh, it, in fact, it's in my notes what you just said. Um, so there's the show's about an hour and a half, but you've got ads. So take uh, take those ads out. They're they're actually more of them than you think. And then yeah. you've got uh, Justin's own commentary, and he. You know, he does a lot of commentary at the beginning of the show uh, in in particular. And then Justin has his own questions. And so even though even when he's moderating well, he's still a participant in the show and that eats into your time. And so when Justin has questions, you have to address them. <laughs> so there's there's the time that Justin takes to ask the questions. There's the time uh, that Justin takes to address the questions. There are times uh, when you are having a conversation with the other person and Justin might uh, uh, step in for clarity and you've got to deal with that. So uh, there's that there's the Justin time that isn't really figured into the timing. And so maybe you've got about 40 or 50 minutes, if you're lucky, um, to actually debate with the other guy and then you've got to shave that time down too because let's just assume that everything is perfectly even then each of you has about 20 minutes 20 to 22 minutes 25 minutes at most to make you to say things and then you've got to shave that down further because the things that you're saying you've got your positive case that you make and then you've got your responses uh, that you've got to give. And oftentimes your responses have nothing to do with your case. It has to do with the other guy's case. And if, you know, if they're two different cases. Uh, so what you really end up with is about 10 minutes to make your case. <laughs> and so it made it, it doesn't feel like that when you're listening. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, 10 to 12, maybe 15 minutes tops to make your positive case, uh, for the whole show. Uh, that's really hard to do. Uh, it's it's super hard. And that's if it's fair. That's if it's even. Part of the game on Unbelievable, and it's it's a game that, you know, you might intuit is present. But those who are on the show, especially if you've been on there more than once, you absolutely know this game. And the game is, how do I get more clock than the other guy? 
Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like definitely. A, the clock is what the clock is. And if the other guy is better at hogging the time than you, you don't even have 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's really it's really a matter of that, and so a, a lot of times uh, people are very aggressive, and I I was much more aggressive for this show than I was uh, the last one. Uh, you can get, become very aggressive with your case, uh, and you can speak in sound bites, and you can start to speak fast because the trick is to take the mic from the other guy and talk as much as possible and force the other guy to respond to the things that you are saying so that your case is the one that's being made. And if you're not good at that game, I don't care what your argument is. You have lost. <laughs> because You have lost simply because you didn't get to talk enough. <laughs> so, um, And then there are the times when Justin comes in to... Um, maybe even things out and i'm not i'm not accusing justin of any wrongdoing or anything like that he's he's hosting a show with with uh, type a personalities but let's say i i'm successful at stealing the mic for a while uh justin also recognizes the game <laughs> he will step in and stop you <laughs> and make you listen to the other guy and sometimes make the other guy respond to you and so it's there's a lot of gamesmanship uh, in the show regarding the clock that has nothing to do uh, with your point, but in everything uh, to do with how you're perceived, uh, whether whether you've won or lost. And so that's a part of the game that's being played uh, on the show that, that people don't get to see. Yeah, that was, I, I think that's a good analysis of the situation because from where, from listening, uh, I thought you did a really good job of wrangling the mic uh, and driving the primary debate where then uh, Jonathan had to respond to you rather than make his own case. Uh, in one place, I thought that was particularly strong for you was you you undercut the Bayesian angle he wanted to take early. You you cut the legs out of that, uh, you know, quite efficiently. Uh, and he had to go into another direction all altogether from, I think, you know, more like a quarter of the show forward. So I think okay, you did a so good job. Since that's a positive thing, I'm going to stop you and have you repeat it later. Um, <laughs> sure. Because we, we need the positive things to sound like there's more of them than there actually were. Um, <laughs> I, interesting, interestingly enough, uh, that's in my notes here uh, as well. So... It's funny that we we solved that particular uh, aspect of it the same way and worthy to write down. Let me just say a couple of other things about um, the show that I'm, I'm trying to respond to uh, some of the comments and questions that people have had since the show aired. Uh, and I want to make a little bit of a statement about uh, some of that and try to incorporate answers, uh, if, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. That's good. All right. So... Um, I want to say that the the first thing that I think has been missed by most people who've commented on the show so far, and whether they've come in it positively or negatively, by the way, I think that I think that most people seem to have missed what I was trying to do. So this, when when they tuned in, what they heard from their perspective was typical debate on the resurrection: uh, did it happen? Did it not happen? And that was not my debate. Uh, I, I was not trying to prove that the debate happened. In fact, early on, both in the podcast and in my write-up, uh, I made it clear that I have no intention of trying to prove that the resurrection didn't happen. That's not my goal. In fact, I, I, I think, uh, at least in one of those formats, I went as far as to say I don't find it unreasonable to believe that the resurrection happened. 
So right away, people should realize that a different thing is being argued than what they were expecting. And uh, perhaps I did not make the point strong enough. So the case that I was making was not that the resi- uh, that the resurrection didn't happen or even that it's most likely that it didn't happen. I was simply making the case of reasonableness, that it is reasonable not to believe that the resurrection happened. That's it. I was willing to give the Christian that I don't find you unreasonable because you believe this story. What I want to show is that those of us who don't believe it are also uh, within the bounds of reasonableness. That's the case. That's all that I had in view. And so if you have questions like, well, why didn't you argue it this way? Why didn't you use Hume uh, was uh, one of the uh, one of the comments by uh, a listener. And I, I, I think that's a valid question. But the answer is I wasn't arguing uh, that miracles were impossible. <laughs> and so that's that's one of the reasons I didn't use it. And there were a number of other uh, uh, suggestions uh, as well. Well, you know, maybe, maybe you could have gone this way. Yes, I could have gone that way. It's not that I'm unfamiliar with the arguments. <laughs> I am familiar with the arguments. I just wasn't making that case. Uh, and so before I, before I move on to my next point here, I just wanted to ask you, uh, Brian, did you get? Uh, did you have the same impression that it seems like most of the audience had, or did I uh, make it clear that I was arguing for reasonableness and not for whether the resurrection happened or not? So, at, at risk of at risk of pumping up your ego too much, uh, that was one of the things I liked about the show the most. I, I liked how you opened. I liked how you talk about how you're not trying to prove a negative that you were presenting this as uh, reasonable unbelief. Uh, that is, uh, I think, an underrated approach to all things. And I think it's at, at the center of what skepticism is. And I think people make mistakes and think that skepticism is sometimes, you know, asserting the opposite of whatever positive claim a Christian or other believer type is making. Uh, so I, I, that was absolutely the battleground I wanted you to fight on, and I was glad that you opened that way. Great. Well, so never ever worry about risking inflating my ego <laughs> never <laughs> listen i i have a podcast and, a, and an audience it's a small audience but it's still an audience my ego is inflated anyway <laughs> so <laughs> just do what you're gonna do it's just um, a, it's a it's a double-edged sword for me though right because if i inflate your ego you probably invite me on the show more often hey, but will. then i don't then i don't get to talk when i get here so you know we'll see what happens um it and believe me don't worry about my ego being overinflated. uh over on the unbelievable board is getting pounded to a thin <laughs> paste uh by by marvin and mac attack so <laughs> oh yeah and, and a couple of a couple of new uh, uh, contributors as well. So I think yeah. you should, even though the, the comment number is not up, I think you should get a lot of credit for, for bringing some new commenters on there. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, it's cool. And, and the other thing you should worry about is I I don't actually care if my ego gets pounded. <laughs> so <laughs> trust me, I've got enough to go around. So when this when this version of my ego gets smashed, I'll just remove it and implant a, a fresh <laughs> copy of ego. I'm good. <laughs> there we go. See, you're you're. You're uh, hearkening to the transhumanism podcast, right? Uh, humanism <laughs> podcast. This is a good crossover event. We don't we don't have a lot of toilet paper uh, in this part of the country, but ego, 
got plenty. (laughs) (laughs) We, uh, we had a, we had 70 mile an hour wind gusts yesterday. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that was from your ego blowing through my neck of the woods. Yeah. Well, in fact, we were spared from that. Yeah. It was windy, but, uh, in my little apartment building, um, we, we were okay. Our, uh, our (laughs) electricity internet was all rock solid. So, um, Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it was a good sign. I, it, it meant that you were, you know, I was, you were going to be ready to roll today. So I was, I was happy to feel it. Ready to roll. So, um, so anyway, those of you who had some questions about that, I just, I just want to make it clear. It's not that, um, it's, it's not that I'm unaware of the traditional lines that this game has played. Uh, it's, it's just that that is not the game. I wanted to play, and it's still not the game that I want to play. Uh, ultimately, I think that game ends up being a draw. And so the second reason I went the way I went is because I'm just frankly bored with the traditional resurrection debate. I'm bored to tears. And I may be, that may be wrong of me. Um, you know, the average person may not be bored to tears of it. But I have listened to, I want to say, hundreds of hours <laughs> of uh of debate on this subject and i've had um you know sermons i've listened to sermons preached sermons uh read uh books and articles and i you know i know how this debate goes uh i get it i know it on both sides it's uh i liken it to a game of chess uh with uh, the book openings and um you know some of the opening lines are very very well rehearsed and uh you know, when I when I used to play chess, I would avoid some of those uh, more well-known opening lines because I knew how the game was going to go. <laughs> and so it was it's just a matter of waiting on, you know, playing someone who doesn't know the opening lines as well as you or waiting on uh, your opponent to make a blunder. Uh, that's a boring chess game to me. Uh, so I, I wanted to make a different kind of case, one that people... Uh, haven't heard a lot, and I think that in a lot of ways that effort landed with a thud. <laughs> so, but <laughs> Although, that's... Uh, I think Justin Justin mentioned early on in the show that he thought you were coming at this from an interesting angle. Yeah, so was, I presume. I, yeah, he was intrigued by it. Um, yeah. You know, but that said, he didn't. There's there's still only so much time in the show, and um, right. you know, Jonathan. So here's part of the part of the behind the scenes things. Uh, the reason Justin knew that my case was interesting is because I sent him my write-up well in advance of the show. Uh, because I wanted him to have a chance to see it and be able to ask questions about it. And if we were running against time, there might be some things in there that he would want to surface. Uh, just as a courtesy to the host. Uh, but I did not send that to Jonathan McCaughey. <laughs> so <laughs> Jonathan did not know. Uh, what my case was going to be. And so Jonathan simply prepared for his standard case, right? And so we we were literally having two different debates. Jonathan was debating, oh, yes, uh, the resurrection is uh, definitely happened and is ridiculous to believe otherwise. And I was arguing, eh, um, it's it's reasonable to... uh, for people not to believe the resurrection, you shouldn't feel like a weirdo. If you somehow don't believe it, here are some good reasons why your disbelief is reasonable. 
Um, so th- those were two different uh, cases. And, you know, like I said, part of that had to do with the fact that uh, Justin had um, all of the material. He was interested in it, but uh, Jonathan didn't. And you can't just ignore Jonathan's case. So uh, that's enough of that. I'm just skipping through my notes for this show. So strongest points. Um, you first. Uh, what, do you, what do you think my strongest point was in the show and also what um jonathan's strongest point was sure so for your case i thought i thought your strongest point was starting from unreasonable uh uh, sorry reasonable unbelief given that's the angle you're coming in you then went into the bible to give them all this other information that if they took this information the same way they took the resurrection of Jesus, then the entire theology that they're basing on would be flipped on its head. You know, it's the idea of the special pleading um, angle, right? Resurrection was no big deal if you actually read the Bible in its narrative form. Uh, And a lot of Christians either don't know it or read it and dismiss it, and they focus specially on Jesus. You know, I thought it was a really interesting way to take to play inside baseball, right? Let me let me come onto your field and take on some of your assumptions and still show you how weird it is to believe there was something special about this one resurrection when there were a bunch going on in the Bible. Okay, well, I appreciate that. That's that's really um, the one takeaway I wish I wish people <laughs> would take away. <laughs> <laughs> at, at your service in the ego inflation department, right? Here I yeah. am. Well, I mean, it, honestly, the, that's why I started that way. I mean, the rest is just details and filling up time. Uh, to me, that is that is the the whole debate. And um, so I, I would like to focus on that. And as I talk about resurrection throughout the um, rest of season two of Skeptics and Seekers, I'm going to be approaching uh, this subject from the perspective of reasonableness, uh, whether on the belief side or unbelief side, because I think it's a mistake to approach it based on uh, right and wrong. Uh, did this happen? Did it not happen? Can you prove it? Can you not prove it? The answer is no. No one can prove it. Uh, that's that's the short answer. You can't prove that a resurrection happened. I can't prove that a resurrection didn't happen. End of debate. Now what are we going to argue about? Um, and I think the natural uh, place to go with that is, well, is is this belief reasonable? Are the people who have it, are they being reasonable when they believe it? And people who don't believe it, are they being reasonable? I think that's the next step in the debate. And I think that's the kind of discussion that can bring us closer together uh, as opposed to pushing us further apart. And so I'm going to persist on um, pushing that agenda, and I just hope it works out better <laughs> as I as I go. So I, my strongest point, the thing that I had in there, um, was uh, diffusing the Bayes bomb. Uh, so I had done a lot of research on Jonathan. Uh, not entirely fair for Jonathan, because he hasn't done any research on me. But then again, Jonathan is a... Uh, he's either... Uh, either he has a PhD by now or he's a doctoral candidate. I think he's a candidate. Um, he's been doing his ministry for a long time. He's a guy who's touted to have an IQ higher than God's. Um, so, uh, honestly, I shouldn't win. <laughs> In fact, I shouldn't, I shouldn't <laughs> even come close. <laughs> right? Um, so, uh, in, in this way, my preparation helped me in 
I don't think that Jonathan really did any preparation on me. Um, not that there's quite as much to do for me as there is for him, but I knew coming in, for instance, that he was going to uh, spend some time with Bayes. And so my preparation was not to learn all of the ins and outs of Bayes. My preparation was to ridicule his use of Bayes. <laughs> and, and and if I could make him and Justin laugh uh, at his use of bays, I win. Um, and and I did that. That did that did happen <laughs> a time yeah. or two. Um, yeah. And it's it's uh, it's a tactic. I f- fully uh, admit that. But it was a well it was a well planned and well um, executed tactic. Uh, I think that. Jonathan is trying to make an argument that is really hard to make. I think it's a bad argument, so let me just start there. It's not just tactical. I, I think the Bayes argument is a bad argument. Um, but it's also a bad argument for a podcast like this because it takes a long time to ex- explicate. So it's a lot of time. And Jonathan had to talk really fast to get a lot of points in, and that is not how to explain Bayes to anyone. So I think I think he was on his back foot anyway, but I was prepared to push him further off balance, um, and so I did. <laughs> and, um, so um, and I'm just kind of patting myself on the back for that. Um, <laughs> I, w- I was I was proud of that. Um, that said, um, you know, if your finest moment is making someone look silly, uh, spouting bays. Um, you know, there, there may be bigger problems afoot <laughs> for you because uh, it, it, it really didn't take a lot of effort to make that look bad. But part of the part of the other thing I wanted to do is make sure that I reduced the time on, of the show that's being devoted to Bayes because Justin was willing to listen to it. And rather than spend a long time rebutting Bayes, I just had I had to find a way to get out of it quickly to, to move on to the next point. So um, that said, if if there are people out there who want to argue the merits of Bayesian calculation in determining uh, whether the resurrection took place, uh, I look forward to uh, chatting with you on the board where I will not as quickly dismiss (laughs) your idea. But uh, I'm also not the guy to really explain Bayes very well. What I what I do know is that lots of Christians lots some Christians use it and they have very different calculations. They come up with very different conclusions. And so even if you just take the atheists who use it out and just look at Christians, it still seems to be a bad tool to calculate resurrection because you can't agree on the numbers. If we took an, a real equation uh, we would expect everyone to come up with the same answer. But I think I think just looking at the, the people who understand Bayes and try to use it to prove a specific thing and their final numbers don't match, I think that's proof that Bayes is not the right tool for this job. There's nothing wrong with Bayes, but it's a little bit like using a hammer to, to drive a screw. Right. Yeah. I, like I said, strategically from the debate standpoint, I think you absolutely nailed getting Bayes off the table and, and, and focusing somewhere else and getting Jonathan on his back foot for that. I did have a couple critiques related to how you uh, uh, answered the Bayes, though. One is while you did use great humor there, I actually thought you did come across as not being comfortable with math 
So it would be easy for your opponents to say, well, he just he's not a math guy. He doesn't understand math. So of course he's not going to get base. And of course he's going to, you know, reject it without knowing that it's a really amazing tool for for determining these things. So I, I, I think you could finer point your critique of Bayes away from I'm not good at math, I don't want to spend time on math, and really put the focus on the fact that what Bayesian is, is is probability. So we're not talking about what actually happened or didn't happen. We're talking about what are the odds that something happened. And even if you get the odds up to like 90% that this thing happened, that doesn't mean it happened. It could still have not happened because it either did or it didn't. Something that has a 90% chance of happening doesn't happen one times out of 10. When I'm playing cards and I need an ace for the next card to come out of the deck and I'm placing a bet because the odds are strong that the ace is the next card, that doesn't mean it's coming out. It could definitely not come out. It'll come out more times than not, but it doesn't mean that it did come out. So even so, the point is, is if you're using bays, you're already admitting that we can't get this to 100%. It's going to be something less than 100%. And therefore, there will be people who won't believe it. And they'll be reasonable because it's not 100%. And you're going to leave in those people at the altar with horrible afterlife, downstream, eternal consequences. So all of that's true. Um, and I'm not comfortable with math. <laughs> so <here's laughs> so what... you, points, for, points for honesty for you then. I, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, no. Um, I, ironically... In high school, I was exceptional at math. Um, I, I had a pretty good high school grasp, an intuitive grasp of math. Uh, and there my math education ended. <laughs> so <laughs> I never had um, a great desire to do higher math because I was not going to be... Well, first of all, in the school that I went to, I won't, I won't talk about it too much, but there was no... There was no push for explaining why it was important. And for me as a kid, I had a lot of brain power, but I used it on things that were that seemed important to me. Mm-hmm. And I would have happily used it on math if there had been someone articulating why it was important to me. So the, the math they put in front of me, I could do well, uh, fine. But why should I try harder, reach more, you know, find more difficult math? Uh, I didn't know about engineering. Um, right. And, and if I, I, I mean, I really didn't know about it. it and, but if I did, if someone had presented that to me as an option, I didn't want to build bridges. Um, you know, that wouldn't have that wouldn't have actually done it for me. Um, there may have been some arguments that uh, counselors could have made um, that I that that I would have cared about. But I just never understood it. And in my life, uh, my real life, I've never had a situation where I thought to myself, "Damn, I wish I had learned calculus." <laughs> you know that that just that that has never happened for me and so um in in terms of theology uh th- that's the last place uh where i see math is important um i mean yeah i don't i don't want to sound like some rube who's downplaying stem um but math is no more important to good theology than it is to good cooking Right. And that's a, that's actually another way you can critique this method, right, is saying, you know, Bayes is a really complex math. So if, if the resurrection can only be accessible by people that understand Bayes, then how can you say that God wants to be found? Right. There's a lot of people that won't even know the first thing you're saying. You know, Jonathan was talking about non-zero probability of priors or what have you. And that's immediate. They're going to lose half the audience right there. Right. And then you'll lose another 25 percent the next sentence. 
So is God really hiding behind complex math that wasn't developed until the 20th century? Yeah, that's that doesn't seem it doesn't seem likely to me. But now Jonathan, he is a great debater, partly because he does it a lot. Um, and one of his uh, benefits of, of debating so much, he he debates the same things over and over and over again, and so he's well rehearsed uh, at a lot of the things that he says. Um, I think so. If I'm if I'm going to give Jonathan points for anything, it's going to be uh, the same place where I feel like I was at my weakest. Uh, and that was uh, later in the program uh, when I got embroiled with uh, harmonization of the uh, resurrection events. Uh, this is this is an argument that takes some time to develop, and I already knew at that point in the program that we didn't have time. I should have left it out. <laughs> I should have I should have just skipped it and moved ahead. But I thought it was an important thing to just mention in passing, at the very least. Uh, that one of the reasons why it's reasonable to disbelieve in the Jesus proposition is because the stories seem to be conflicting. And that's, that's really all I wanted to say. Um, if, if you look at the stories, they seem conflicting, at least at a, um, at a, at a casual level. Uh, and it's, that's not to say that some version of the stories are untrue, but it's, it's one of the many reasons why we might doubt it. Instead, I went way too far uh, down that Path, and I gave Jonathan a chance to take the mic and just about run out the clock um, on that uh, issue and, you know, debate uh, about the whole Mary and how many women. And I knew I knew Jonathan's whole <laughs> pattern on that point. And when he saw the opportunity, uh, man, did he take great advantage of it. <laughs> So, uh, hats off to Jonathan there. I, uh, I got flustered. I got mad. Um, I actually, there, there was actually a point in there where I got, uh, truly royally pissed off. Uh, talk about, talk about, uh, shooting from your back foot. The, um, I was on it at that point and it was at a critical time in the podcast where it was near the end. So it was like the penultimate, uh, point that was going to be made, um, And I thought, whereas Jonathan didn't really do that great in the podcast, in my opinion, he kind of made up the ground there. And it's ground that I gave him. Um, Tactical error, bad, badly argument, lost control of my emotions. Yeah, it wasn't. um, I I definitely noticed that. I could tell, you know, now having spoken to you a number of times, I could tell from your voice uh, later in the podcast that you were you were angry and flustered. Um, and I think uh, Justin goaded you pretty specifically to give examples, and I thought that was actually a brilliant tactic on his part because, again, the idea that you're coming at this from unreasonable – I'm sorry, I keep doing that – reasonable unbelief, uh, but he wants you to throw down a one example where now Jonathan can undercut that one example, at least cast reasonable doubt, and therefore your, your, you know, what you threw out as a reason to not believe is, right. has been defeated. And that's just, that's, that just goes against the entire case that you were making. So he really, you know, he, he really put the, 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 you know, the hammer to the nail there on that point to try to, to yeah. <laughs> I, uh, one, one thing that happened in that part of the debate I thought was interesting is, have you gone back to look at the, the resurrection of all the saints, the zombie apocalypse verses? Because they were claiming, because you were saying, when you kept saying many and they kept dodging, like many is not a big deal, many could be like one, I thought that was so strange 
But it sounds like what they were saying is, is, is the many didn't apply to who rose. The many applied to who saw them. Have you done some post game on that to see what that looks like? No, but uh, you know what? Uh, because I'm not afraid of doing a little bad podcasting for uh, a time or two. Let's just look up the passage. Uh, and so now you can listen in this audio show as I open my Bible app and I type I, math. I can do some elevator music humming if you want. Will that help? You can do the Skype music. Do, do, do. <laughs> All right, here we go. Wait a minute. Uh, all right. Crucifixion. Uh, it's like 52. It's down here somewhere. Um, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At that moment. Okay. Let's see. 51. I'm going to embiggen the size of this. Um, <laughs> do it. Do it cromulently, please. Yeah, <laughs> two points. Uh, only three people will get uh, both of those references. But... Yes, look them up. Look them up, audience. Those are good. <laughs> those are good things to learn. Um, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. That's verse fifty-one. Verse fifty-two. And. So, just a small pause here. <laughs> yeah, it's not even imagine. it's not even the beginning of a sentence kind of end, right? So you you can you know kind of break the rule and begin a sentence with an and uh, or a right. But they're yada yadaing. But this is actually uh, they they put this verse split just in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> so this is this points to how unimportant <laughs> this story is to Christians. <laughs> It's it's not even given its own space. It's yeah, just, no, it's a jam in. So, it's jammed in there. Just just crammed right in there. And the tombs broke open and bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection and went into the city and appeared to many people. So this is a this is a point that I have made several times in other places. This is not just a handful of people. It's many times many. Yeah. I don't know what those and numbers that, are, but it's it's many people from the tombs appearing to many people outside. Many times many. How many is that? It's many. It's a lot. It's given we're supposed to be led to believe that a lot of people saw this. And and a lot of zombies came out. They their their fight back on you was Maybe it wasn't a lot of zombies, so therefore not a lot of people noticed and didn't record it. Why is that a big deal? Which just seems so disingenuous to me when I was listening. But you're confirming that it was there were many zombies and many witnesses of the zombies. So the fact that this didn't get written down anywhere, anywhere else by anyone is just, I mean, it strains the mind. Right. And so th- that was actually one of the places where I got a little bit angry now I, I kept it under control there that was fairly fairly early in the podcast you but... you you uh you hid your anger behind just saying many yes many it's many what i wanted to, to many. what i wanted to say was <laughs> you are lying that's what i wanted to say i wanted to say you know this passage as well as i do yeah you liar you are just trying to cast doubt on this number and trying to trying to suggest in the listener's head that maybe it's a small number. You know better. You have yeah. to know better. That's what I'm yeah, going to say. <laughs> yeah. No. 
<laughs> you good, good, good points for you for composure. Uh, but yeah, you did, you did sound a little bit like a broken record at that point. It was really kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I wasn't saying to people, it's right there in the Bible, folks. Is you just read it. It's verse yeah. fifty-two. It says, "Many, uh, many right. people rose; they appear too many." Um, this is why I keep saying this. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, and uh, just just for the record, the reason that I really lost it at the end with the harmonization stuff, this is just a thing uh, with me that has made me mad for a long time. So the fact that it came up in the show in that way in that time, uh, especially after this incident with the mini thing, um, I kind of blew a gasket. Because the, the idea with um, pointing out discrepancies in the text, in the story is not even to say that some version of the story couldn't be right. It's, it's not to say that at all. It's to say that a reasonable person, person just reading the stories would find these discrepant details troublesome. Period. Yep. It's, yep. it's not to say that you don't have an explanation. I've heard your explanation. I've heard the explanation Jonathan's given, and I've heard 10 other explanations that are different. <laughs> so and you, can, you can come up with an explanation. We know that. We can play that game. The game, though, is to pretend that the person who thinks that the details seem discrepant is, is being unreasonable. That's a lie. You know better than that. And especially after after this game that they had played uh, here with uh, Matthew 27. So I... I uh, you know, I didn't quite say it, but what I wanted to say is you were lying again. You were trying to <laughs> deceive people into thinking that if you read the stories, it's it's somehow unreasonable to see discrepant details. I'm sorry you were saying. I'm making yeah, myself no, no, mad no. all over again. <laughs> Calm down. Don't say many. We're going to not say that word anymore on the on the show. But um, yeah, and and the uh, the rebuttal to that always seems to be this analogy to a car accident. And people giving different uh, accounts of what happened in the car accident, uh, and that that to me is always a nice little sleight of hand response that Christians give, because they say, well, just because three people don't remember all the details and harmony of the car accident, that doesn't cast doubt on whether there was a car accident. And the reason that's so is because we know there's a car accident before we start getting the people's accounts. We see the crumpled cars and the fire and the debris, right? So we know the car accident happened. Now we're trying to get more information from eyewitnesses. In this case, we don't have the resurrection lying there like a car crash. So there's reason to doubt whether the thing happened at all or even remotely close to how it's being described when they can't even get their act together, when they're supposedly the firsthand witness accounts of Jesus' apostles who's got you know, magic at their disposal. It's, it's just so, you know, it's just such a disingenuous analogy. Yeah, so that's that's an excellent point. I think it's disingenuous on another level too. The first time I heard um, someone make this uh, particular argument, I was actually a Christian at the time, and I thought that's a really bad argument. <laughs> a, are you are you honestly arguing that uh, a strong case that this is legitimate is that the people couldn't get their story straight? Uh, that's that just seems seems like one of those uh, heads I win tells you lose. So yeah. if if the accounts di- were the, the same account with the, with you know no discrepancy in the details, Christians would say, "Look at how solid uh, this account is." They they all saw the same thing. But but now that there's so many discrepancies in the account, they say, "Look how solid this account is." They're all saying different things. <laughs> so 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 it wasn't collusion. Well, no, um, actually, if 
uh, if you have competing witnesses in a court case and the details are too discrepant, uh, the case gets thrown out or the person who's uh, accused gets uh, is it's dismissed because the details do matter. They do matter. And so, yeah, there's a there's a certain level of unimportant details that maybe don't matter. You can kind of see around and build a case. But how many of those um, can you have and still say, well, we've got a good case? Uh, every witness is offering different details at every level. At, at what point is that not a good case? And for the Christian, there is there seems to be no level of discrepant details that would make them say, huh, that's questionable. Yep, and it and it becomes circular because they'll they'll use they use the accounts to determine that the resurrection happened, and then they'll use the fact that they now think the resurrection happened to try to harmonize why these accounts are discordant, and it go round and round we go. Yeah, so uh, I uh, I just wanted to give kudos to Jonathan for taking the opening he was given. <laughs> and, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, and driving driving a Mack truck through the opening. Yeah, well, you know, and <laughs> speaking of Macs, if if you really want <laughs> if you really want to get under my skin, if you really if you want to cause me to say things that may not be well researched or get me off my game or or playing from the back foot, just, just find a way to piss me off. And there's some people who who have my number and know where my buttons are. It's a little like what I used to tell Dale um, on the show. Look, you're, you're, you're a smart guy, um, but people know, they know where your buttons are. Yeah. <laughs> they, can, they can push yeah. your buttons and make you stupid. Uh, and they, and they did it uh, a lot. And I'm sure that Dale recognizes some, some truth in this these days, but the same is true with me too. I may have fewer buttons and they may, may be harder to press, but I still got them. And if you can get yep. there, you can get me. <laughs> so, yeah, um, highly gettable. But that said, I thought uh, I I honestly thought that uh, the podcast was a good show, and I hope that people might uh, one day listen to it a second time, or maybe people who listen to it later on can kind of listen to it with the the nuance that I am not, in fact, trying to argue that resurrection is unreasonable. In fact, I want to I want to progress beyond. Uh, the podcast right now and talk about a few other things. I want to talk about uh, resurrection and historicity proper. I know that you didn't come prepared to talk about that, uh, but I've, I've got an upcoming show <laughs> with someone who I will be talking about that. So I want to, uh-huh. I want to rehearse some stuff. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, I can, I can, I can be your McClatchy. Okay. I'll, I'll know what, I know where the buttons are. No, no, don't be my McClatchy. <laughs> I, will, I will slap you across the face. <laughs> And then let, me, let, let me quote one of the things he said toward the end of the show to, to end this to end this portion that that really riled me up is he said something like if you're fully informed it is unreasonable to disbelieve in the resurrection my goodness go. <laughs> oh that I, I i wanted to pick up my iphone and throw it until i remembered it cost about 700 dollars, so i didn't oh. do it yeah, that got me. <laughs> but I couldn't say anything after that. We're in closing yeah, arguments. You, they had the music going over your voice at that can't, point. Uh, can't violate closing arguments. So, um, yeah, I might come back to that. I, <laughs> my eyes are watering with I think I said out loud, way to be charitable, guy. Like, that was how I was feeling at the time. Yeah, but it, that, I mean, that it, if anything shows the differences between Jonathan and I coming into this podcast. It's the bookends. It's my coming in with an olive branch and saying, look, this is 
not to say you're unreasonable. It's just to show why disbelief is reasonable. And then Johnny, Jonathan ends it by saying, yeah, well, if you know what I know, it's unreasonable <laughs> right. for you to disbelieve. Yep. So, um, exactly. Yeah, it, interesting bookends there. Um, so what, you know, we, uh, I wanted to use the, the Bible itself, which is the material that Christians uh, care about, obviously, to show um, where there are some places where a person reading the Bible might have reasons to question the story and doubt. Uh, they might have reasons to question resurrection and doubt. Um, I, I want to I just talk historicity for a moment. History versus fables or fiction or um, mythology or uh, hagiography, um, history versus whatever is ahistorical. Right. How, do, how do you know? How can you tell? Um, what are some of the, uh, the markers of history? Uh, and, you know, so if, if you're not getting it out of a library or a bookstore, and you just pick up a book and you read it and it has a lot of fanciful stories. How do you know if it's historical or ahistorical? Um, and I, I think that we all kind of know we, we intuit this. We don't, you know, seldom does a person make, a, make the mistake of picking up uh, a novel and giving it in a, in, in a school book report as, as history. Right? I mean, that, that doesn't happen, even, even for young readers. So uh, I think that Christians kind of, kind of pretend like, um, you know, there's, that we, that there's no way to know and that somehow uh, we're, we're making too much of the differences. Uh, so I just I just had a list of things that I would run by you. I mean, one of the things that seems to be important to history is names. Um, names are important. I was I'm I'm dismayed. I won't say upset. I'm dismayed by um, the number of Christians who poo poo the idea that biblical stories often don't come with names. Uh, fairy tales don't come with names. You know, I, I think I use the account of the, the, the three, three little pigs. Well, they, you know, they don't have names, <laughs> right? Um, so, uh, but history accounts have names. You know, if we if we talk about uh, battles, you know, and wars, we talk about who the president was, who the generals were. Uh, who the uh, people were who were leading the battle. If someone famous was uh, killed, we don't just say, oh, someone famous died. Right. You know, it's it's names. And then magnify that by, if we're talking about a resurrection, you know, something that that is supposed to be historical. Let's say that someone was resurrected uh, last week. They died of the coronavirus, resurrected last week. Um, mm-hmm. Or at least there's news of that. Well, I think the very first question out of a person's mouth is, who was it? Right? Absolutely. I mean, we want to know who it was. Who? What's the name of this guy Where did or, or lady? Where did they live? Um, you know, give me some identification. Don't just say... A guy recover. A guy rose from the dead. That's not a story. That's not a news story. Um, where did this happen? 
can you give me some detail and don't just give me the name of a region? Where did it happen? You know, what what block? What building? What was the address? What did, what do we know about the the person in the place? Um, if if someone was raised from the dead, we would ask, what was the cause of death? You know, how how did they die? Was it cancer or were they beheaded? You know what? That makes a difference. <laughs> that's a that's an important detail in the story. Um, life after their resurrection. So they were resurrected. How they, how are they doing? What are they doing? Uh, that's kind of important. What they were doing before resurrection doesn't really matter. What they're doing after resurrection is kind of important to the story. Um, the consequences of this resurrection. What has happened since then? Um, you know, has a new religion formed? Uh, th- that sort of thing. Um, are there any outside attestations of this resurrection? So we heard this from their family, but who else knows about this resurrection corroborated? These are some of the things that we would look for in history, and none of the biblical accounts have all of this information. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you've got a good handle on it there, right? I agree. The details are obviously important. Um, you know, writing in a way that tries to put it into time so that there are other hallmarks. You know, if I were writing about something I did last week and it was, you know, the day that, you know, whatever, a certain plane crashed, you know, trying to anchor it into time, into other corroborating events. Um, like you said, names, dates, details. Um, yeah, it's what I've come to learn. It's, it's funny when I was a kid, obviously you read history and the reason you think that something's historical is because you read it in a history book, right? But I've come to learn now as, a, as an adult that it's the other way around, right? What happens is, is history books are made of history, right? It's, the, the book doesn't confer historical status. Right. Hopefully the historical status is determined and then it ends up in the book. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, ex- exactly. So I'm... I, I, uh, I'm I want to workshop this idea a little bit, but I, I just think there's a lot of special pleading that happens when we read Bible stories. The, the last uh, resurrection uh, that we talked about in the Bible, uh, Matthew 27, it, it was two verses, and it didn't take all of those. I guess it started in the middle of one of the verses. Uh, right. We're talking about two verses, um, and no, there's no curiosity uh, about this stuff, the um, there's if we go back to the Old Testament resurrections, uh, there were two that were very similar. One was Elijah, the J. One was Elisha, mm-hmm. the, not J. Um, and they happen almost the same way. Uh, a lot of the details are very similar. Um, and, and you can argue, well, you know, in in ancient Hebrew, the names of women wouldn't have mattered. But I guarantee you, the names of a woman whose son was raised from the dead would matter. <laughs> that's that's what matters. You're pretending like this story is the same as any other story. And it is not the same as any other story. And suddenly that that name matters, where maybe it wouldn't have mattered. And the and the, the child that's, that died, that matters now. How old was the kid? And what did they die from? Uh, did anyone confirm that death? We have some things that we would ask if we're telling this story. And these stories were told so casually and with so little curiosity uh, from the writer uh, that it doesn't read like history. You know, if, if, 
if a pig actually did fly? Can you imagine the questions that would just bubble to your mind? <laughs> right. <laughs> you, would exactly. need to, you would need to ask some questions. But here, people are just jumping out of graves and nobody asks the obvious questions. Uh, these, this, these are things that don't read like history. Um, before I leave this, I wanted to look at Lazarus' um, resurrection. So you know Lazarus, right? Uh, yeah, Lazarus. He's the starting point guard for Duke University, right? Exactly. Uh, gotcha. He, oh, uh, no, you mean you mean the guy that rose from the dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same guy. Know. He's been living a <laughs> long time. <laughs> well, if you can resurrect, I guess, yeah, that, that makes sense. There's yeah. no logical contradiction there. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, a lot of people say, well, but Lazarus died again. The Bible actually does not record Lazarus dying again. <laughs> and uh, there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of mythology around uh, Lazarus uh, actually continuing to live. <laughs> so... If I if I if I may uh, interject here, that was one of the most interesting uh, points of obfuscation in the comments about this episode that I read. The the distinction between resurrection and revivification. Yeah, that was an that, that was an interesting angle that seemed very non sequitur like. So before I before I go into Lazarus, I will just address that briefly. That's a yeah. ridiculous argument. Um, if you were if you were, I'm sorry. Okay, Marvin, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't because I like you, Mark. Believe it or not, <laughs> I actually like Marvin, which is why I try to talk to him. I suspect I'm just going to say this right now since I've called Marvin out. I suspect that some, not all, but some of the challenges people have talking to Marvin is that Marvin might be um, a speaker of more than one language. Right. I, I'm guessing this. I, I know he lives in Asia um, somewhere. Is it Thailand? I'm not sure. Uh, but he's he's. Uh, you know, well traveled, and English may not be his first language, and he may be a better English speaker than an English writer, for instance, uh, right. which happens a lot. And so, it it just could be uh, that we're crossing a lot of cultural boundaries uh, when we have communications with uh, Marvin. And you've got to work a little bit harder to get past that. So that's charitably uh, what I'm going to offer there. But I I do think the reason I say it's ridiculous is not. Not that the theory is ridiculous, but there's a difference between, you know, being raised and dying again and being raised um, and not dying again. That may be important. But it's not important to any atheist that I would know. You know, it's not that's not the way to convince an atheist that Jesus resurrection was special. Because from our perspective, the the thing that's special about it is he was dead and now he's not dead, right? right. And I don't actually care <laughs> yeah. what happens to the not dead. Uh, you know what happens after you're not dead anymore. Uh, that's the miracle. You know, you can talk about another miracle of whether you lived forever uh, or whether you died again. Uh, but you know, the whole not dead thing. I mean, if you want to say people, you know, not dying is the important part. Well, there were, I want to say two people in the Bible who didn't die. There's at least one person in the Bible brought up uh, by a chariot of fire. Um, so they didn't die. Uh, they were never killed, but they didn't die. Right. <laughs> so um, I just, I think that trying to put the emphasis there um, dilutes the the point and it, and it looks like a red herring uh, that I I personally don't don't want to chase, but it may be an important point to someone else. So um, kudos to you, Marvin, for bringing it up. Um, so Lazarus, uh, I mentioned Lazarus. I didn't have time to get into this on the show. It's not even in my write up, but um, 
what I was trying to do is compare Jesus' resurrection with other resurrections in the Bible. And if we take the other nine resurrections, we can get a baseline for what resurrection in the Bible looks like. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just starting there. Um, can, can, I'm sorry. Can I interrupt myself for a second? Can, um, have you read all of the resurrection stories in the Bible? I have not. I okay. knew. I knew of. I knew, obviously knew of Jesus. Knew of Lazarus. Lazarus. I knew of the one with the bones because you've spoken about that before. Uh, I didn't realize there were ten total. So that's that was something I didn't realize. Yeah. So. Um, the earlier ones, the the widow's son's resurrections, part of the account is that the prophet, they get on top, they, first of all, they take the boy and they either put him on the couch or they put him in the bedroom, they put him on the, you know, some someplace. Yeah. But the first thing you do is they take the boy and they kick everybody out of the house. <laughs> they lock the door. <laughs> hmm. Oh, jeez. So this, 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 sounds, this sounds like a Me Too moment about right, that. No, I, thousands of years ago. This is how the stories start. <laughs> so this is how. So they they do that, and then they lay the the boy out on you know whatever they're laying him on. Uh, on one case, it's definitely a bed, and uh, the prophet gets on top of the boy, physically places himself on top of the boy. The Bible. Um, the way it reads, it uses the words mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand. Wow. That's disturbing. Yes, it is disturbing. That's, <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is very disturbing. And you, you, you have to ask yourself what, what manner of magic is this they're using? What are they, what are they trying to do in this, because as we learn from later resurrection stories, none of this is necessary. Right. <laughs> we don't. We don't actually see this happen ever again. We've got ten resurrections that didn't happen, so clearly that wasn't needed. <laughs> so why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's fascinating to to see what people are willing to swallow. Yeah, well, you know, they're willing to swallow a lot of it because they don't know it's there. But once yep. again, you so I'm going to set aside eight of the Resurrections accounts and just look at Lazarus and Jesus for a moment. And okay. I've just got a couple of bullet points here. Um, and I just want to highlight some differences that, that I find to be. Uh, interesting, kind of important, and if you if you take the the Bible's resurrections, uh, all uh, all of them except for Jesus, and you kind of develop a baseline of how is the resur- how is the trick of resurrection done, you know what what happened prior, what happened during, what happened after, what does resurrection look like in the Bible, and you see Jesus' resurrection, you do see some interesting things that make you raise an eyebrow. So uh, once again, just looking at Lazarus. What we have for Lazarus, and we have to assume some of this because his story isn't that long either. Uh, We have witnesses for his death, witnesses for his burial, because obviously they buried him, and witnesses for his resurrection. So there were witnesses all the way around. This is, in a Mm -hmm. way, a response to Justin's question earlier of, if if you don't like what the Bible uh, presents, what would have been better um, evidence, you know, documentary evidence, for Jesus' resurrection. So part of the answer to that is if there had been witnesses, for instance, 
of Jesus dying. But what we have on the cross are all of his disciples scattering to the four winds. And so maybe some of them saw some part of it for a distance. Um, and yeah, I know there's the disciple that Jesus loved and his mother there at the cross. But we, we don't know who that disciple was. Um, what we what we're told is that all of his apostles uh, ran and hid. So whoever this disciple was in John, I don't know, maybe this is a made up story. I think it's all mm-hmm. a made-up story, actually. But, um, you know, it could be any of the other 72 disciples. A lot of people speculate that the disciple that Jesus loved is actually Lazarus. Uh, I've seen some some good cases made for that. Uh, but doubtful that it would have been one of the 12. But at any rate, um, the moment of Jesus' death, not very well attested. Because the people who would have known him uh, best were... Had, had, ran and hid that sort of thing but with Lazarus he died in slow motion in front of a lot of people you know because he was sick and people were sending messages hey he's sick can you can you get here and then he dies and they send the message and I don't worry about it um or Jesus gets there and they say yeah it's too late don't worry about it uh so we don't have any kind of question about witnesses and and uh, the events in the Lazarus story. And so this, this is the point that I'm rambling on trying to make. They saw his death. They saw, they knew exactly where he was buried. They saw him, they put him there. Uh, they saw him walk out of the, the tomb. No one was there when Jesus uh, was buried. They, you know, his body was taken over by, uh, I think the story says Joseph Arimathea took mm-hmm. his body. Was, he wasn't exactly one of Jesus' disciples. Uh, his disciples weren't there. So, uh, we didn't really see that. Uh, and as far as the resurrection goes, there were zero people at the at the tomb when Jesus walked out of it. Uh, so nobody saw any of that. And in Lazarus' case, people saw all of that. So that's one of those places where I would say, well, that's an interesting difference in the story. Uh, why, why is it that we don't have better attested um, death, burial, and resurrection witnesses, and and Lazarus does have such uh, good attestation of this. In fact, uh, almost all of the Bible stories have this. Um, Sorry, all, almost all of the resurrection stories have this uh, attestation of people seeing the the death, burial, and resurrection, but the Jesus story does not. Right. So. Um, Lazarus was dead for a longer time. So if we're trying to make this um, very dramatic, uh, why not Jesus being dead for four days? (laughs) Instead, Jesus is dead for anywhere between three days and one and a half days. It it depends on how it's, you know, which narration you read. Um, So we have the, we have the longer, uh, space between death and resurrection going to Lazarus. He's, he's the record holder here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. There is no identity confusion when Lazarus comes out of the grave. Now he's been dead for four days. I don't know what kind of decomposition happens in four days, uh, but everybody recognized him. Nobody said, uh, Lazarus? <laughs> is, that, is, that, <laughs> is that you? Uh, you got some cheek sloughing off there. You? <laughs> you know, there was none of that. You know, it was no, um, no one had to, to do any tests to see if it was really him. You know, show me your death wounds. None of that. Everybody knew exactly who he was. This is true with all of the other resurrections too. There was no confusion about who had 
risen. They People knew instantly. But with Jesus, this is the only resurrection uh, of the ten that have this resurrection confusion. This identity confusion, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, a, a reason to question. And then uh, the enemies reacted uh, to the event. So I have... Um, uh, Mac attack over on uh, the unbelievable board uh, pointed out that uh, well he he disagrees with me on this detail anyway so let me clarify the detail uh, that I'm making here I would say that the enemies of Jesus reacted differently in 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 a way that one might kind of expect with Lazarus death death and they didn't react in a way that you would expect uh, with Jesus death. They didn't, they did not, um, so first there's a story that even William Lane Craig uh, doubts the veracity of. There's a story in Matthew 28, uh, I want to say right around verse 11, maybe 11 through 15, somewhere in there, uh, where the uh, Roman soldiers, the ones who were put there to guard Jesus, quote unquote, guard Jesus, there were no Roman soldiers guarding Jesus. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> it's, it's there in a story, um, after their ordeal, they go to the high priests and the chief priests, the Jewish leaders. They tell them everything that happened. And then the Jews, uh, who are the mustache-twirling bad guys of the story, uh, <laughs> they say, okay, what are we going to do? Let's make up a story. I mean, the, it actually reads this way. Let's make up a story and lie and tell people that the disciples stole the body and uh, so you you two soldiers, you go say that, and we're going to pay you this money to make sure that you say that. And so the soldiers took the money. This is how, this is how the story goes. Um, once again, uh, I, a lot of Christians uh, recognize this as not, um, not being a, a, a legitimate story here, even, even by their lights. Uh, but the idea is to pretend like the uh, opponents of Jesus knew that he was raised from the dead. And that is simply not the case. But even if you take the story um, and just accept it, these aren't people who thought that it was true that Jesus was raised from the dead. In Lazarus' case, they did think that Lazarus had been raised. In Jesus' case, they didn't think that Jesus had been raised. This is why they're making up a story. It's not to explain why Jesus is walking around in front of people. It's to explain why the body is gone. So um, it was very important to the Christians at the time, anyway, that, you know, the tomb is empty, the body is gone. We get the empty tomb uh, story kind of thing going. But if the chief priest had thought that Jesus was alive, they would have never attempted that ploy. Because all Jesus would have had to do is walk around in the middle of time, show up to town, show up in um, the temple and say, nope, I'm really here. So the chief priests were just devising a plan to explain away the uh, empty tomb. They did not actually believe that there was a living, breathing, resurrected Jesus uh, around. So I just I just wanted to put those things out uh, because Jesus could have made it very trivially easy to um, appear before those people and, and they would have known. And even if they had wanted to try to keep it hushed up or change the story, they wouldn't have been able to if Jesus had persisted uh, in appearing to people. So, uh, yeah, these are these are some of the differences that we have just with the Lazarus story alone. You know, I could do this with all the stories, but just with the Lazarus story alone, 
we see some things that we wouldn't necessarily question in this case of Lazarus that we are left to question in the case of Jesus. So even though the Jesus story is a much longer resurrection story, it's the one where it seems narratively speaking, we are left with more questions than uh, with any of the other stories in the Bible. It's as if we were intended to question it, as if there was intended to be a um, a curtain of doubt over the story that would have to be overcome by faith. Yeah, I I, I agree. I these if you were able to get into the deep dive uh, differences between these stories uh, in the podcast, it would it would have become overwhelming how inconsistent and how uh, there's a lot of uh, excuse making for why didn't he do this? Why, why was it like this? Why is this all we have? Uh, yeah. It certainly doesn't point to me like there's a divine perfect communication strategy going on here. Right. Um, and you know, the, the, I, okay. Yeah. I will. Um, I'll, I'll say this one thing. I'll stop blathering. I think our time is probably up anyway. I haven't looked at the clock, but it feels Feels like we've gone long. Um, I'll say this: the the argument that you know there were fires, and you know maybe even if there were a lot of writings, those writings would have been destroyed. There's no reason to believe that any of those writings would have uh, survived. Uh, this is this is spurious at best. God could preserve anything. He could have preserved anything. We're expected to believe the the miracle that he preserved the story with intact speeches and and so forth uh, over all of this time. But he couldn't preserve a few pieces of paper where where people wrote things down. He couldn't re- preserve court records. He couldn't preserve uh, the the notes uh, from the Sanhedrin. He couldn't uh, preserve uh, you know the the book of death records where it, you know, the Romans show that they were crucifying Jesus. God was completely inept at preserving anything that would have corroborated the story. And so once again, you have to just ask yourself, if you're listening to a person make this kind of case today, uh, someone is going to say, well, where is your corroborating evidence? And you say, well, I had it all in uh, my storage locker, but my storage locker was uh, robbed and then burned down. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's it doesn't mean that the evidence doesn't or, or didn't exist, but it it's another reason to doubt the story. It's a it's a theological version of the dog ate my homework. It it is, and it doesn't fly because dog is god. Ooh, <laughs> so, look 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 what we just did there. That's that's interesting. <laughs> a new conspiracy theory. Yeah. So um, the uh, if I could if I could put a cap on on all this from from my perspective as well. Oh, you can, I, you I, don't have to put a cap on. You can blather on as long as you want to. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> the uh, the biggest argument against the resurrection to me is at the end of the day, and these are some of your famous words. Who cares, right? Whether I'm completely wrong about what happened in the past, whether it was a resurrection or not, supposedly this God that did the resurrecting exists now, lives now, can communicate with people, and wants something from me. So whether I'm wrong about what happened 2,000 years ago, it's irrelevant. He could come to me right now and tell me everything he wants from me right now. I'm thinking of an analogy where I 
you know, in the morning before my kids get up, I make a note for them that I want them to clean their rooms. Uh, I leave it on a post-it note on the kitchen table and then I leave for work. Then when I come home from work, I find out that they haven't cleaned their rooms. But I don't see the post-it note on the table anymore. It, it seems very strange for us to argue about how well I communicated my message to them if what I care most about now is, hey, I'm home, get your rooms cleaned. I can fix that right now. We don't have to spend any time worrying about what happened to the post-it note, whether I wrote it legibly, whether I put it in a place where they would see it. All of that is irrelevant at this moment in time where we are now. So I, I just don't understand why going back in history is so important if there's something that's wanted of me now by a being that exists now and will affect my future. Well, you have upstaged me by just making a better point. Uh, in a shorter amount of time. So uh, I'm enjoy the last appearance of Brian. on <laughs> See, I did all that <laughs> ego uh, boosting early and I just destroyed it. I ruined the whole thing. So yes, uh, I wish I had, I wish I had said that. So everyone just got to rewind for the last three minutes. and listen to that again. <laughs> This isn't going to make air. See, I'm going to be, now you're going to get me mad. My buttons are going to get pushed. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that is, I, I think that is the key point though. Um, Right now, Christianity feels like a game, like a puzzle game of find the evidence. Uh, and a, a lot of people can't. I, I've, I've, I've got access to uh, lots of things, lots of writing, lots of knowledge, uh, uh, academics, people that I know who are willing to talk to me, uh, debate with me. Not everyone has that. Okay. And I have all of that. And I still don't buy what Christians call uh, evidence. And so it, it's kind of a game of, you know, whoever can, I don't know, do the best hunting and parsing and make the best judgments based on bad evidence. Uh, and if, if you come up with the right answer, then you win. And if you don't, you lose. And that, that doesn't feel right. Um, so if, as you say, if it did happen, it seems like a one-time event in history that cannot be corroborated is not the right way to, uh, you know, not the right thing to to motivate someone two thousand years later uh, to worship a god. Uh, you know, we don't. There, there is, there has been a lot of stuff lost. There's been a lot of translation lost, and people who don't by the story that they're being told today are not being unreasonable. I think that's, once again, I hate to sound like a broken record, but that's where it comes back to. Um, the reason uh, that Christians would say that your proposition that you just made so eloquently uh, doesn't make sense is because God already did that. And every reasonable person would be able to see that, and there's no reason for God to have to come back and do it all over again. And that just feeds into the, the thing that I am inveighing against right now. No, you're wrong. It's not unreasonable to disbelieve the story that we have right now. And I just spent an hour talking about some of the reasons why it's not unreasonable. And so if, if Christians acknowledged that some unbelief was reasonable then they would have to come up with an answer to the question, well, why doesn't God just come and clear it up for you now? And because they don't have a good answer to that, they can't acknowledge the reasonableness of unbelief. Yep, exactly. 
So I'm uh, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to just where's the stop button? Anyway, um, I mentioned that I am going to be uh, doing a podcast uh, real soon. It's going to be round two uh, with our friend, uh, friend of the show, friend of mine, David Kimball Cook. And um, we had a great uh, conversation a couple of months ago, and we're going to come back to that uh, and have a conversation specifically about uh, the historicity of Luke and Acts. Uh, David wants to um, talk about those books separately. That might end up being two podcasts. I don't know. But uh, if you uh, are kind of a historicity buff or find that aspect of uh, the conversation interesting, uh, look out for that in a pod feed near you. Till then, uh, it was great being on the show, great being on this show. Thanks, Brian, uh, for coming along. Don't be a stranger, and uh, we'll see you all next time.